Welcome to the sermon podcast for New Life Church's Cabot Campus. We are located at 3400 West Main Street in Cabot, Arkansas. Our service times are Sundays at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. To find more information about what we believe, upcoming events, and more, please visit newlifechurch.tv or you can text the word Cabot to 88000. We are in the series of good news. Uh, but this morning, I'm going to be talking to the dads. It says in Proverbs 14, 26, reverence for God gives a man deep strength. His children have a place of refuge and security. And Genesis 18, 19 says, for I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just. I believe that that is the mantle the provision, the command that the Lord has put on us as dads. Uh, I want you to listen to me though, because there's only ever been one perfect father in history, and that is your father, God. And uh, some of us in this room, we grew up with amazing dads. Some of us had explosive dads or distant dads or absent dads. So I'm gonna talk about some characteristics that I think makes a good father. And some of you may have the tendency to feel like I've already missed out on that. But I want you to know that that is not true. By the grace of God, you don't have to miss out on anything. God can restore and bring it back. And the great thing is this, we've got a lot of godly fathers in this house and so maybe part of what's been missing for you is you feeling like you had a good dad. Well, I want you to know we've got some godly spiritual fathers that are in this place. And I'm believing that even if you had missed out on that, that the Lord would love you to be connected to some other godly men that can help demonstrate it and be a part of that process of reconciling things that you felt like were lost. I believe the Lord can do that. When it comes to being a good father, what makes a great father? Especially today, like how do we define that? Because man, the world's trying to redefine a whole lot of stuff. Well, it's not just biological. Someone might say, well, biology made me a father. Well, biology can give you a kid, but it definitely doesn't make you a dad. Just like going into the men's restroom doesn't make you a man. There's something different beneath the skin that makes you a man, amen? But I am thankful that we have a lot of men's men in this church, like men that know how to shoot and catch stuff and trap stuff, skin a buck, set a trot line, <laughs> slap a knucklehead every once in a while in Jesus' name if necessary. Men know how to work hard and sweat, how to fix and build. Men who are tough enough to take a punch but tender enough to dance with their little girls. That's a good dad. Men who stay up late, just so they can get up real early the next day. And while you're dead tired and drifting off to sleep, hopefully a dad that'll whisper a prayer over you and your family. We honor you, men of God, today. Amen, let's give it up for all the dads in this house. I will say this, man, I'm gonna, I'm gonna talk about a couple of things that I think could help all of us. But one thing that I've noticed is I've never seen a self-centered man with joy. 
I've never seen that. So I wanna encourage you to keep on sacrificing and laying down your life for your family because that's where the real joy truly is. That's where you find it. So there's some characteristics that I think can be in any man that's gonna help them be a good dad or good father. And we're gonna look at a story in Matthew between Jesus and a desperate daddy. Because uh, if you're a dad at one point or another, even if you've only been a dad for a little while, you know you've already been desperate at one point or another. Like if you got a newborn baby, you so desperately just want that thing to figure out how to sleep on its own at one point or another, right? I mean, there's, there's always a point of desperation. Uh, but I wanna talk about another desperate daddy in the word and how Jesus responded, how the man responded, what we can learn from that. Matthew 9, chapter 9, verse 16 says this. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch will pull away from the garment and making the tear worse. Neither do people pour new wineskins into old wineskins, new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst. The wine will run out and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins and both are preserved. And it says this, while he was saying this, a synagogue leader came and knelt before him and said, my daughter has just died. But come, put your hand on her and she will live. And Jesus got up and went with him and so did his disciples. Just then a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. She said to herself, if I only touch his cloak, then I will be healed. And Jesus turned and saw her. Take heart, daughter, he said. Your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed at that moment. When Jesus entered the synagogue leader's house and saw the noisy crowd and the people playing pipes, he said, go away. The girl is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After the crowd had been put outside, he went in, took the girl by the hand. She got up. News of this spread throughout all the region. First thing I wanna talk about, I think is an important characteristic. Jesus turned interruptions into opportunities. Jesus turned interruptions into opportunities. It says in verse 18, while he was saying this, a synagogue leader came and knelt before him and said, okay, do you know most of the miracles that Jesus performed happened out of an interruption? Almost all the miracles that happened it weren't, it weren't, they didn't happen because he was planning on going and doing these things. He was in the middle of doing something else and then something or someone interrupted him. But here's the thing. Jesus didn't just endure interruptions, he welcomed them. And he didn't just welcome them, but he turned them into kingdom opportunities every time. These things weren't on Jesus' Google calendar, okay? It wasn't on his to-do list. He was just available and accessible. And I think this is where a lot of us, including myself, are nothing like Jesus. I have a lot of growing to do here. I, I, I don't like to be disrupted. I don't necessarily like being interrupted. Like, come on, man. I'm, I'm kind of a big deal, you know? Like, at least in my own eyes. When I get interrupted, I, 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 there's just no telling what super important things are gonna go undone, right? I mean, it's probably gonna have a huge impact on the rest of the whole world, more than likely, you know? If I'm interrupted, 
which is ridiculous. <laughs> but a lot of us men, we can certainly feel that way. And I think about the selfish ways that I don't like being interrupted. Like I, I think about, like even with important interruptions, I think about like an ambulance or a fire truck or tornado sirens, you know, police officers, Amber Alerts, Amber Alerts things like that. It's like, hey, I was, I was busy here, right? Or y'all remember when they used to, you used to be watching TV and they say, we interrupt this, the regular scheduled program to bring you this news. And it's like, no, it, that is never more important than a Hogs game. Like, I don't care what's going on. Like, stop it. Stop interrupting. Like, I had a plan here. One of the people that I've watched set the example on how to handle interruptions many times is Pastor Rick. There's been so many times I've been with him, hanging out with him at a lunch, whatever, and somebody will come up and they recognize him. And so they'll, they'll just interrupt. Like we'll be in the middle of a conversation, we'll be in the middle and, and they'll interrupt and he pivots. And suddenly they are the most important person in the room, you know? And we could have been having an important conversation, but it's paused and he just focuses on them. What do they need? Where are they at? How are they feeling? And he doesn't rush it. He gives it as much time as he can. And because I can struggle, honestly, with dealing with interruptions and being patient, having grace with it, that's one of the reasons why I hang out in coffee shops so much. Because the truth is, I could just come up here to the church and lock myself in an office somewhere and just do work. But what I've learned is, for me, when I do that, I shut down so many divine appointments. And there's been so many times when I've been sitting in a coffee shop somewhere and the Lord will get my attention towards someone or someone will come up to me and say, hey, I need you to pray for me. Or hey, they, the, the baristas told me you're a pastor. I'm trying to find a church. You know, and now I'm beginning to embrace and love interruptions. But you know where it's most important for you to be willing to be interrupted? In your home. From what you wanted to do, from what your plan was, that's important. Jesus is in the middle of this sermon, at the beginning of this. And I mean, there's a, there's a great sermon through this new wineskins and wine and, and what all that means. It's like, this is, some import, this is an important message and sermon. And in the middle of his thoughts, a desperate need presents itself. And it says that he, he gets up at once. Like he doesn't even hesitate. So dads, don't miss this. Your ability to be interrupted tells everyone in your world how you value them. Like you've got my attention. And this is where the good stuff is really of life. I'm telling you. So make someone else wait. Put down your phone, shut off the computer, turn off the TV, maybe leave the office a little early from time to time and give your attention to where it really matters. Jesus paid attention to humility. That's another element that I think is important. 
for us as fathers to recognize. While he was saying this, the synagogue leader came and knelt before him and said, my daughter has just died, but come and put your hand on her and she will live. Jesus got up and went with him. And so did his disciples. Just then a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. She said to herself, if I only touch his cloak, I will be healed. Jesus turned and saw her. Take heart, daughter, he said. Your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed at that moment. And so really you're, you're seeing two people that had to demonstrate a level of humility and Jesus noticed it. For one person, it's been far too short. Like maybe his daughter was only 12 years old. For the other person, it had been far too long, 12 years of suffering. So in life, there's times when you're either gonna be blindsided or you're gonna be in suffering. But the common characteristic for both of these miracles is they both had to humble themselves to receive from Jesus. They had to humble themselves. The Bible calls the father a synagogue leader, which was an elected position at that time. He was one of the elders. So he had a significant reputation in the city. And at this moment, he's about to sacrifice that reputation completely because Jesus had a reputation too, and the religious people didn't like him. But it says that he kneels, and in the Greek, that's like a form of worship, okay? This isn't like the Tim Tebow kneel. This is like all the way down on your face before Jesus in worship. And because Jesus is a controversial figure at that time, he understands how humbling this was for this man. And all he knows is, look, I've, I've got one hope. His name is Jesus. That's it. First Peter 5, 5 says this, all of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Man, that is so powerful. It's powerful on two levels. First of all, I don't ever wanna be opposed by God. There's not a lot of places in scripture where the language is that strong towards a characteristic. But if there's one thing that'll get a stiff arm, the highest men from God, it is pride. Like I will oppose you, but the opposite, man. But if you, if you will humble yourself, be willing to show weakness, be willing to show that you need, that you don't have it all, God lifts you up. The Wright brothers, who were the first to fly, their dad was a pastor, uh, and their mom always knew that God had this strong calling on their lives, and there were people all over the world that were dreaming about flying. Governments were already setting aside budgets for when people could figure this out. But the Wright brothers, this is what they did. They went and they would lay down and stare up at the sky. They'd lay down and they would just watch birds all day long. They just study birds, all different kinds of birds. And as they study God's creation, they realize that there was a law of lift that superseded the law of gravity. And that is a spiritual law as well. 
When we get humble, the Bible says he will lift us up. And I, I promise you, it's true. He will lift you above all the things. It's a supernatural deal. He lifts you above all the things that you feel like are weighing you down. Weighing your family down, you can raise above all of that if you'll humble yourself. Be weak, because in your weakness, God's power is made perfect. Number three, men of God must find what gives them spiritual confidence. My daughter has just died, but come and put your hand on her and she will live. Look, I can't figure out where he knew Jesus was the answer. Like, how did this guy have this kind of confidence? It, it, it was an unusual confidence too, because Jesus at this point had not raised anybody from the dead yet. Nobody. So maybe he'd heard about some of these other miracles and signs and wonders, but, but what was it that gave him the confidence that all Jesus just come and then she'll live? He's confident. How? I don't know, but I do know this. You have got to know what gives you spiritual confidence too. What is it in your life that is gonna make your confidence strong? What's gonna make your faith strong? When I'm walking in confidence, here's some components that help me. Uh, first of all, every day I'm in the word. Every day, I'm in the Word. I'm studying something. And, and I commit myself to the fact that there can be no other substitute and there is no other standard. The Word of God is it. So I'm in the Word. Also, there's order in my life. You, for me to have confidence, like there's gotta, I gotta remove clutter. I gotta remove clutter in my schedule, finances, and home. When those things are in order, it helps bring spiritual confidence. Also, that I'm praying. I'm praying for my wife and I'm praying for my kids. And I'm spending time in prayer and worship. And I try to do that every day. Every day. And another thing that gives me a lot of spiritual confidence is when I'm loving and serving well. That gives me spiritual confidence. Like when I'm taking time to show affection and tenderness to my family and making sure that I am telling each one of them, I love you and I'm proud of who you are. I'm proud of who God made you to be. But also when I'm serving, when I serve people and especially when I serve my family, it helps bring confidence. It helps bring confidence. This is not in your notes and it won't be on the screen, but you can write it down, look it up later. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 13 says this. Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. And let all you do be done in love. I think that's like a great checklist. Like, hey, how, how, am, I, how am I really doing when walking in, in spiritual confidence, like in who I am, and who God made me to be. First of all, I gotta recognize that there is an enemy that hates me and hates my family. So I'm gonna be watchful. I'm gonna recognize that I don't wrestle against flesh and blood. That's not my real fight. I gotta know where the fight really comes from. And then I gotta stand firm in the faith, meaning that even when I don't feel like it, I'm gonna still hold on to truth and I'm gonna walk in that truth. I gotta do that. 
act like men. Be strong. Look, I mean, I feel like sometimes maybe what we need to do is just like have a John Wayne movie marathon up here at the church, right? I don't know. Look, it is not a political issue. God created men to be men and to be strong. That isn't defined by what culture says. It's clearly just defined in the word of God. And for some of us, for some of us, you need to cowboy up a little bit. For some of us, we have let culture give us permission to be victims. And you're not. God has created you to be more than an overcomer. And if you want your family to be strong, you want your wife to be strong, your kids to be strong, you need to lead the way by example and be strong. Be the people God's created you to be. Amen? That wasn't in my notes. <laughs> Number four, anything can happen when a dad asks Jesus into his home. Anything. Here's a Barna study. Interviewed thousands of families. Here's the result of their po poll. Okay, uh, now this is in reference where every person in a family is unsaved, okay? If every person in, his, in a family is unsaved, if the mom or wife gets saved, 21% of the time, the rest of the family gets saved, 21%, okay? If a child gets saved, this is huge, okay? This is a strong percentage because it's stronger even than the moms and the wives. 24% of the time, the rest of the family gets saved, Okay? But listen to this. If the dad or husband gets saved first, 92% of the time, the rest of the family gets saved. Whoa. Why? Because that's God's best plan. That's God's best plan. Now, I say it that way because I know not everybody's living in that world. We got plenty of single moms we got plenty of people where the dad's not there and you are kicking tail. And you got your kids here and you're leading as strong as you can. I'm just saying the way God designed it from the very beginning was for the man to be the head of the home. And if the man is the head of the home, the way God designed him to be, then the rest of the family will fall under the umbrella of salvation, restoration, reconciliation, healing, blessing, and a whole lot of other stuff. It's the way that God designed it. Verse 23, when Jesus entered the synagogue leader's house and saw the noisy crowd and the people playing pipes, he said, go away. The girl's not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After the crowd had been put out, put outside, he went in and took the girl by the hand. She got up and news spread through all the region. I love this. There's three things in the culture that would happen when they were mourning. Okay, the first thing is the dad would actually tear his clothes right where his heart is. And he would, any, any clothes he was wearing, he'd always have it tore right over where his heart is because it showed like a physical sign he's heartbroken, okay? Because there was loss there, okay? Also, people would immediately show up and begin wailing and crying. Like, over the top. I've seen this in some other countries and even other religions. This is the way they still mourn today. Like, like really, it's not even real. 
they will literally just start screaming and wailing and crying as loud as they can. And another thing that happened is people show up and start playing the flute. Like at least three flute players would show up and they would play sad songs, okay? So there's yelling and screaming and crying and mourning and a bunch of people playing sad songs on flutes. And that is actually where country music was born. That's where it came from. That's not true, but it may be true. I mean, it makes sense to me, but so they're, they, they're all there and they're just crying over the family member who had died. They're singing their sad songs, but really there's just confusion. There's just pandemonium. So when Jesus entered, he removed that. So I love that because before Jesus showed he was the Messiah, he showed that he was a pretty good usher on the serve team. Like, hey, hey, we're not gonna put up with that. He gave them the boot. Now I love this, and this is my last thought. For change to come, sometimes in your home, something else has to go. And now for some of you, what has to go are the emotions that are tied to the past. what the enemy is leveraging in some of your men's lives is the rear view mirror of your dad. Which more than likely is tied to the rear view mirror of his dad. There's a generational curse that's happening where you don't have the example. And in order for you to be able to have Jesus really move in your home, you may have to deal with that. Uh, and there, that can be a process, and I'm not gonna try to oversimplify it, but I know it starts with this. It starts with you speaking forgiveness by name over your dad, maybe over your granddad. I don't know how far back it goes, but you may need to speak forgiveness because sometimes that's the thing that needs to get kicked out first. But there also may be some noise, some noise that's in your house that Jesus wants to end in your life. You're just distracted. There's a lot of other things going on. I think this is a great question to ask. If Jesus came into my home this afternoon, what would he kick to the curb? What influence, what routine, what, what would Jesus say, this has got to go? And I'd encourage you, if Jesus would do it, maybe it's time for you to do that. Because that may be one of the things that's keeping Jesus from really being able to step in and do what he wants to do. Dads, I want you to know I'm proud of you. Uh, I read a stat, I think it was uh, 
that dads are spending three times more time with their families and kids than they were 30 years ago. Three times. That's huge. There are so many areas that I feel like dads, man, you are killing it. You're doing amazing. I'm proud of you. But I also know we are living in a day and age where we need a whole lot more Jesus in our home. And I don't want anything to keep us from having Jesus, the Messiah, the healer, being able to step in, bring a miracle, bring a miracle. There's, there are, for all of us, there may be some dead things that we need him to raise up. For some of us, maybe it's been a season of suffering and we, and we need him to supernaturally touch us and heal us of that suffering. I don't know what it is, but I do know that Jesus is the answer. Amen. I wanna pray for you. Let's close our eyes, bow our heads. Father, I thank you for the example of your son. I thank you for this story. Even this, this man, God, he, who, he was just, he was religious. <laughs> he was probably bound up in that, but you, you used a moment of brokenness. You used a moment of desperation to bring him a, to a place where you were all that he had. And God, I, I pray that we would all live in that place. We would just live in the place of understanding, Jesus, you're, you're it. You're all we have. We need you. God, I pray that you would encourage every man that's in this room, every father. God, I thank you for the new dads who are just stepping into that season, the expecting dads that are nervous about what kind of a father they're gonna be. For the empty nester dads that are on that side and in that season, whatever they're at, wherever they're at, whatever season they're in, I pray that they would be encouraged by your spirit. They'd be encouraged, Lord. You would be the lifter of their heads. There's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of weight on the shoulder of, their dad, of a dad. But I thank you, your word says, your yoke is easy and your burden is light when you carry it with us. So we invite you, Father, to carry it with us. If there's anybody here, anybody at all, that you're away from God, you don't have a relationship with Him, and you feel like the presence of God is, has already been working on your heart, He's been speaking to you, and you know that that you need him. And one of the reasons why you know that is because you have no confidence about your eternity. Like right now, if you, for one reason or another, sometime today, even you lost your life, you have no confidence of where you would spend eternity. I wanna pray for any person that is away from God and knows that you need to call on him. The word says that the only way to the Father is through the Son, Jesus. It's by believing that Jesus paid the price on the cross for our sins. It's admitting that we're a sinner and that we need forgiveness. And if you're here and you're in that place where you realize, man, I, I'm just away from him. Maybe you were close to him at one point, but you need to come back to him. Either way, I just wanna pray with you. So everyone else, you're praying, your heads are bowed, your eyes are closed. You don't need to worry about anybody that's around you. 
But if you'd be willing to say it, admit it, man, I just, I need Jesus. I'm ready to call on him. I'd love to pray with you. I'm not gonna embarrass you. I'm just gonna ask you to be bold enough to admit to me before your God that you're ready to call on him. I want you to put your hand up right now. Yes, sir, thank you. You can put your hand down once I see you. You don't have to keep it up the whole time. I got you, bro. Thank you. Anyone else? I'm away from Jesus. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. Anyone else? I'm ready to call on him as my Lord and Savior. I need him desperately. Okay. So for you few folks that raise your hand, the word says, if you'll believe in your heart, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, then you will be saved. And so at one point or another, it's important that you declare your faith in Jesus. And that's for two reasons. One, it'll build your faith. It'll also get you connected with the people that believe what you now believe. But it also declares to the enemy who you're choosing to believe in. And that's important. And a great way to go public with your faith is water baptism. And we'll have an opportunity to do that right after our second service today. And guess what? If you're in this room, if you've never gone public with your faith in Jesus, you would have time because you're at the first service to go home and get closed. But if you don't, we've got everything you need right out there in the foyer to get baptized right after that second service. But for you few folks to raise your hand, we're just gonna go to the Lord right now. And you can say this prayer loud enough for your own ears to hear it, or you can just say it in your heart, but we, but you just be honest and be real. Say something like this. Say, Jesus, I need you. I confess that I'm a sinner and I know that my sin separates me from you. But right now, I believe that you died on the cross for me, for my sin. And I ask for your forgiveness. I believe that you rose from the grave. You defeated death. You defeated my sin. And I thank you because of that, I have the hope of heaven but I wanna live my purpose in you now. So would you help me understand more of your love? Would you help me understand my purpose in you? Would you help me to get connected to a body of believers that can help me grow and be the person you want me to be? Would you lead me by the standard of your word, by the leading of your spirit? I surrender my life to you as my Lord and Savior. Thank you for loving me. Father God, I thank you for those few folks that just said that prayer. We give you glory and honor for them. We welcome them, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.